So we're in a series in the book of Daniel called Rooted. And just so you guys know, so uh, we're in Daniel chapter 6 tonight. So if you have your Bible, you can go ahead and open to Daniel chapter 6. I'm going to be in the NIV translation. Uh, We're actually ending the series next week with Shannon with Daniel chapter 7, um, which I'm really excited about. Uh, It's probably actually one of my favorite passages in uh, in the Old Testament. So Shannon gets to teach us next week. But um, for those of you who have been tracking with us, so in Daniel 4 and 5, the last two messages, we we looked at two different kings. So King uh, Nebuchadnezzar and King Belshazzar, they're both kings of Babylon. And if you haven't been with us kind of in the story, so Babylon conquered the nation of Israel, conquered God's people, took them captive, exiled them, stripped them away from everything they knew and they loved, and they brought them into the city of Babylon. So the people of Israel were slaves to a foreign kingdom, and they're trying to figure out, like, how do we stay loyal to God and his kingdom in a kingdom that is completely contrary to the ways of God? Like, a very pressure situation. And so the last two weeks, we picked at, we've looked at two kings, but specifically tonight, we're actually looking again at um, Daniel. And so some background on Daniel chapter 6 specifically. So Daniel 6 actually opens up with King Darius on the throne. So if you were with us um, the last time I spoke, um, Belshazzar was king of Babylon. And as he was kind of throwing that dinner party banquet, the Persians were collapsing on Babylon. And in Daniel 6, the Persians actually already conquered Babylon. And now Daniel's in the royal courts. He's working for the government of Persia. And so that's where the story uh, starts off. Now, this is what's even more interesting. Daniel was a young teenager when he was taken away from his family and his nation to Babylon. And in Daniel chapter 6, Daniel's probably in his 80s. And he's about to, like, experience the hardest test that he's ever experienced. His biggest test of faithfulness to God happened in his 80s, which already at the start of this gives us a lesson, is that sometimes your biggest tests for following the Lord happen at the end of your life. So what we have to do is we have to prepare our hearts to be the type of people that when our tests come later in life, we're ready to to handle them. And another thing that this, uh, the start of this passage is going to show us is that there will never come a time in your life when you can sit back and think that your faithfulness to God is so well, so well established that it will never be challenged or tested again. There's this verse in Joshua 24, 15, and Joshua is talking to the nation of Israel, and they've already experienced so much of God's grace. And after they've been put into the promised land, he puts this, he puts this kind of phrase in front of them. He says, choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. And if you've been a Christian for any length of time, you know this is true. Yesterday you were faithful to the test, but you know today is a whole other ballgame and you've got to do it all over again, Right? And so for Daniel, that's exactly his experience. And in Daniel 6, we get to see what Daniel's choice was in this story. So join me, Daniel chapter 6. Let's read verses 1 through 5 together. So it pleased Darius to appoint 120 satraps, which are kind of like governors, to rule throughout the kingdom. So this is Persia, with three administrators over them, one uh, one of whom was Daniel, the satraps were made accountable to them so that the king might not suffer loss. Now Daniel so distinguished himself among the administrators and the satraps by his exceptional qualities that the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. So all throughout the story of Daniel, like Daniel's just been a baller. Like every, everywhere he goes, like he just gets 
like, the promotion. Like, he's, he's just a good dude. He knows how to do his stuff. Um, so at this, when the administrators and the satraps, um, so when they heard this, um, excuse me, verse 4, at this, the administrators and the satraps tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel in his conduct of government affairs, but they were unable to do so. They could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent, meaning lazy. So finally, these men said, we will never find any basis for charges against this man, Daniel, unless it has something to do with the law of his own God. So this is what happens. So Daniel's in this political system in Persia, and he's like exceptional, like I said, at everything that he does. And not only is he exceptional at what he does, but his character is so rooted that it actually made the people in the government extremely jealous of him because he was actually going to be elevated above the actual Persians in Babylon. So Daniel went from slave in Babylon, slave in Persia, and now he's being elevated above the very own people that he's actually working for. And this, you guys know this to be true. When, every, when anybody disrupts kind of the status quo, people don't like it very much, do they? And so people begin to get extremely jealous of Daniel. And I just want you to put yourself in Daniel's shoes. If you were Daniel, he's been living as a slave and as an exile for 65 years. Wouldn't it just be tempting at 80 years old? You guys know like the elderly people sometimes, they just get grumpier the older they get, you know? Like it's like it kind of goes downhill, their character. Like Daniel is just like through and through a man of integrity. I think Daniel would have been extremely tempted, extremely tempted to conform to the pattern of the kingdom that he was in. And I I even thought, after 65 years of being out of the land that God promised his people, I think the type of questions he would have asked is like, does it even benefit me to obey God? You're like, does it actually even benefit me? Like, Like, I've been faithful and I've been faithful, and it's just been hardship after hardship. Yet Daniel, it says, was so distinguished that the only way that they could put something against him is that if they created a crisis where he would have to choose between God or something else. Let me ask you a question. Could the same thing be said about you? Could the same thing be said about you in your dating, in your work, in your school, where people just look at your life and they go, that's just a, that's just a man or that's just a woman of integrity. Like, they are, they are excellent in what they do. They are trustworthy in what they do. There's no corruption in them. Like, they don't even conform to the ways of the culture that they're in. See, the point of saying this is that the suffering and treatment Daniel is about to go through is completely unjust. And it's completely unwarranted. And it's going to get so bad that they're going to throw this old dude into a den of lions, for those of you who don't know the story. And the point for us that I, I think we need to get out of this is that our faithfulness and our commitment to God and his kingdom won't protect us from suffering. It actually might be the very thing that brings it. I need to say that one more time. Because in our culture, I think sometimes in our minds, like, well, the more obedient I am to God, the better life is going to go for me. But what Daniel shows is that our commitment to God actually puts us in really tough situations. 2 Timothy 3.12, it says this. It says, everyone who wants to live a godly life, so everybody, anybody who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. And here's why. 
I want you guys to see this. Because we live in a world that is in rebellion to God and his kingdom. Do, do we know that? Right? We live in a world that's in rebellion against God and his kingdom. So if you are living for God's kingdom, at some point there will be an intersection between the ways of God and the ways of this world. And this intersection is the point where suffering begins as Christians. So, like, just think about this. Like, if you are actually living in the ways of God, you are rooted, you are walking, living for Jesus as your king, and our culture is completely doing the opposite thing, at some point that's going to intersect. At some point that's going to intersect. Like, so, for example, if you're, if you're a Christian and, and you're in, let's say you're at your job or whatever, <clears throat> and... Um, the culture, the kind of the norm is to, to gossip about your boss. Anybody have that problem at their, tr- at their uh, work culture? Where it's just kind of a cool to talk crap about your boss. And you know what the scripture says. In the, like the ways of God, in the kingdom of God, there's no gossip. We actually speak, we respect authority and we honor it. Well, you have two options. One, you either join in and you just kind of go along the stream of culture. Or... There's a clash between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of this world where you actually might speak up about it. Now, most of you go like, I would never speak up about it. I just won't say, I just won't say anything. Because when you actually speak up about it and start being a Christian and an influence for Jesus in your work culture, you know that's going to cost you, right? So what it really shows us is that as Christians, if we never suffer, like if there's no cost, if there's never, like, that moment where it's like, man, this is, this is a lot of tension, it either means, one, you're an isolated Christian, meaning, like, you've, you've fortified yourself from the world so that there's never an intersection between the ways of God and the ways of this world. Or it means you actually might be more shaped by the ways of the world than the ways of God. But what Jesus teaches us and what he shows us is that he puts himself in the middle of the world and lives out the kingdom right in the middle. And he calls us to do the same thing. And I love this verse, 1 Peter 4, 16 and 19. It says this. It says, however, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. So then those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. Jesus said, Um, he goes, the world hates me, and you're not greater than me, so if it hated me, it'll also hate you. And what Jesus says is like, listen, if you are not ashamed of me, he goes, I will not be ashamed of you on the day that I return. And so what Daniel shows us is like faithfulness to the Lord, it does not mean a protection from suffering, it actually means it actually might bring it about in in our lives. Let's continue on in the story. So Daniel, man of integrity, People start getting jealous that he's working with. Verse 6. So these administrators and satraps went as a group to the king and said, May King Darius live forever. They're so kind. The royal administrators, the prefects, the satraps, the advisors, and governors have all agreed that the king should issue an edict and enforce the decree that anyone who prays to any god or human being during the next 30 days, except to you, your majesty, shall be thrown into the lion's den. People were very extreme back then. Verse 8. Now, your majesty, issue the decree and put it in writing so that it cannot be altered in accordance with the law 
of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be repealed. So King Darius put the decree in writing. So here's what's happening here. So like I said, the governors and the people that were working with Daniel, they go like, listen, we're never going to get dirt on this dude. We definitely don't want him in charge of us. He's such a man of integrity. So we actually have to create a trap where he's going to have to either choose God or choose to obey the state. So they go, hey, King Darius, like make this rule that nobody can worship any other God. Pray to anybody except to you for 30 days because they know Daniel so well that he's got a habit of being a really godly dude. Verse 10. Now when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home, went to his upstairs room where the windows opened towards Jerusalem. Three times a day, he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to God, just as he had done before. Now, I want you to think about this for a second. Daniel, he just, he learned of the decree, and he learned that anybody who prays to any other god or human being besides the king is going to get thrown into a den of lions. A den of lions. Thank you, guys. <laughs> yeah, never mind, Shannon. No, okay, I really want you to think about this. If you were to put yourself in Daniel's situation, there's a number of different ways he actually could have responded to this. One, like he had such a high reputation in the king's court that he actually could have gone to the king and try to change his mind. Like, that could have been a response that he had. He also could have changed how he prayed. Like, think about this. Like, he had a habit of getting on his knees before the Lord three times a day, but he decided not to, and he's like, he could have prayed it in his head. Couldn't he have? Like, he still could have honored the Lord and prayed it, but he didn't. He could have closed the windows. Didn't close the windows. He could have, and honestly, like, let's just be honest. Like, if you had the choice between being thrown into a den of lions or stop praying for a month, wouldn't you just like, well, I'll just stop praying for a month. See, what's so incredible about this, in verse, verse 10, it says, now when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he got on his knees before his creator. Let me ask you a question. When pressure builds up in your life, what's your response? When like pressure really starts to build in your life, like it did for Daniel, do you hit your knees before your creator? So in my life, I don't know about you, but coming before God is not my first reaction. Crystal can tell you, my wife, that some, sometimes if I'm really stressed and there's a lot of pressure, typically what ends up happening, typically it's a Wednesday night. I end up being stressed on Wednesday night for whatever it is. But it typically means me coming home and then Ben and Jerry's just really, tonight dough. Have you guys had tonight dough, Ben and Jerry's? One person, two people. So literally, I was just like, I just, I, I want Ben and Jerry's, I want a glass of wine, and I want to watch Psych. And I just want it all to go away. And I'll, I'll just be honest, it is so hard for me to respond the way that Daniel did. <laughs> Daniel did. And what, what Daniel shows us is that he knew that the safest place that he could go in times of pressure was to the creator God. Because he actually knew that he was the safest place that he could go and he could actually do something about the thing that he was in. See, where, whenever pressure hits your life, even if you're an unbeliever, you know this, that you're always going to do the thing that you feel the safest doing. And you're always going to turn to the thing that will provide you the most comfort. And what Daniel had learned and cultivated over his 65 years in Babylon is that the God of all creation was the only one 
who could truly bring him rest. So much rest that he could actually learn that he'd be thrown into a lion's den and he could actually give thanks. Now, I want you to notice one other thing. It said very specifically, and it, you can gloss over it at first, at first, but it says that uh, when he went into the upstairs room, he prayed with the windows open toward Jerusalem. Now, why, why in the world does, does Daniel pray toward Jerusalem? So there's really actually two reasons. One is because Daniel was a man of God's word. Look with me in 1 Kings 8, 48 through 49. So King Solomon, when he built the temple in Jerusalem, and the temple was where like the presence of God was, where God put his presence in the midst of his people, he's talking about when Israel is in an enemy's land. L- listen to this verse. He goes, if they turn back to you with all their heart and soul in the land of their enemies who took them captive and pray to you toward the land you gave their ancestors, toward the city that you have chosen and the temple I have built for your name, then from heaven your dwelling place, hear their prayer and their plea and uphold their cause. See, by opening his windows and praying towards Jerusalem, Daniel was simply just doing what the Bible said. See, Daniel wasn't just a man of prayer. He was a man of God's word. And he knew it so well, he goes like, I know exactly what situation I'm in, and I know exactly what the word of God says about it, and I'm going to obey it. And so what he shows us is that we need to be men and women of God's word. The second thing that we see is that Daniel, he wanted to be shaped by God's kingdom in his ways. So Jerusalem, it wasn't just like this attractive hilltop city that just gets mentioned a lot in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament. Jerusalem was actually the place where God made his name to dwell. And in the Old Testament, it was where the nations would come to learn about the one true God and his ways. So Jerusalem was this hilltop city. So Jesus says, like, you're a city on a hill. He's talking to Israel. And he's saying, listen, it should be such a beautiful city that the nations are brought into the city to learn about the one true God and his ways. Look at Isaiah 2.3. It says, come. These are the nations speaking. It says, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the temple of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways so that we may walk in his paths. The law will go out from Zion, the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. So for Daniel, to pray toward Jerusalem was to daily align himself with the one true God, to know him, to know his ways. It was to set a daily compass. It was to get on his knees and go, God, I live in Babylon. I live in Persia. God, today, I don't want to be shaped by their ways. I want to be shaped by your ways. I want to know you. I want to experience you. I want to learn your instruction, and I want it to change me. See, Daniel, he knew that if he wasn't on his knees every day, he'd be shaped by the culture that he lived in. And we need to learn the same thing. So in in a way, we need to make sure the windows of our prayer lives are open toward Jerusalem in a sense, towards the presence of God. That we would daily, guys, daily reorient our lives in the direction of God's name, the direction of God's will, God's mission for our life, God's standards. And we just, we, we have to be people who just go, Lord, align me with you today. Align me with you today. See, we've been talking about rooted in this series. And we've been talking about what being rooted looks like. But we haven't talked a whole lot about how do I actually become rooted. And so what Daniel shows us is 
in order to be the type of man or woman that is so rooted like Daniel, the way it happened was by being on the knees, his knees before his creator every day, three times a day. So I actually took this challenge. I actually don't have a habit of um, getting on my knees and praying. Um, and God's like, hey, like, you should try it. You know, like, one of the, the greatest kind of characters in, in the Bible that's actually presented faultless in the scriptures. Daniel was a sinner. But I just feel like God's like, hey, if, if this is how Daniel became a man who was shaped by the ways of God, you really think it's going to be any different for you? And I'm just telling you, like, by being on my knees, I've been trying, I set my timer for five minutes every morning before I leave the house and for five minutes every night. And I literally just get on my knees and I just go, like, Lord, align myself with you. And I just try to en engage the Lord and say, God, just, like, fill me. Like, I put my physical body in the posture that I want my heart to be. And God actually, like, he, it actually works. <laughs> like, God actually meets you in that. And I also thought this was kind of funny because I was like, it really hurts to be on my knees for five minutes. And, and Daniel was 80. I was like, have you ever tried to, like, seen an 80-year-old try to get on their knees? I was like, it took a lot of effort for him to get there. But he's just like, I have, that's the place I have to be before my God. And I think that's the way that we need to as well. Let's continue the story. This is where it gets real interesting. Daniel, uh, let's, let's look at verse 11, and uh, we'll read through 24. Then these men went as a group and, and found Daniel praying and asking God for help. So they put him in a pinch, and sure, they were right. They found him praying and asking God for help. So they went to the king and spoke to him about his royal decree. Did you not publish a decree that during the next 30 days, anyone who prays to any god or human being except to you, your majesty, would be thrown into the lion's den? The king answered, the decree stands in accordance with the law of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be repealed. So apparently, like, in some sense, it's constitutional. Like, when I make a decree, it can't be changed. Then they said to the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, your majesty, or to the decree you put in writing. He still prays three times a day. When the king heard this, he was greatly distressed. He was determined to rescue Daniel and made every effort until sundown to save him. Which, by the way, how ironic is this story? Daniel, who is actually making his kingdom flourish by being so excellent, is now the one under scrutiny. Crazy. Verse 15. Then the men uh, went as a group to the king, king Darius and said to him, Remember, your majesty, that according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, no decree or edict that the king issues can be changed. So the king gave the order, and they brought Daniel and threw him into the lion's den. I was like, how cruel is it to throw an 80-year-old into the lion's den? Not fun. Then the king said to Daniel, may your God, whom you serve continually, rescue you. So he comes to a place where he goes, man, like the only hope I have is that your God, hopefully he can rescue. A stone was brought and placed over the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet ring and with the rings of his nobles so that Daniel's situation might, might not be changed. Then the king returned to his palace and spent the night without eating and without any entertainment being brought to him, and he could not sleep. At the first light of dawn, the king got up and hurried to the lion's den. When he came near to the den, he called to Daniel in an anguished voice, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to rescue you from the lions? Daniel answered, May the king live forever. My God sent his angel, and he shut the mouths of the lions. They have not hurt me because I was found innocent in his sight, nor have I ever done any wrong before you, your majesty. 
few more verses. Then the king was overjoyed and gave orders to lift Daniel out of the den. And when Daniel was lifted from the den, no wound was found on him because he had trusted in his God. At the king's command, the men who had falsely accused Daniel were brought in and thrown into the lion's den along with their wives and children. This is very extreme. Very still. (laughs) Before they reached the floor of the den, the lions overpowered them and crushed all their bones. So we read a lot there. But here's the point I want to um, I want to share with you guys. All throughout this whole uh, book, I don't know if you guys have noticed, but the, the spot that God shows up the most is in the situations that are the hardest ones, and it seems like there's no real solution. And so one of the things that I was really reflecting on, and I wrote this down, it was one of the first things I wrote down about this passage, is that your obedience, Christian, and your faithfulness to God in, in your pressure situations will often put you in a lion's den moment where the power of God gets to show up and show off. Let me ask you a question. How bad do you guys want others to see God's power in your life? Like, how bad do you really want it? Because if you want God's power to be known in your life to others, you have to walk the road of obedience in hard situations. And you have to be okay with going to the lion's den. Now listen, most of us aren't, probably won't be thrown into a den of lions, right? Hopefully not. But wh- I would just ask you, like, what's your lion's den? Like, what's, what's the situation in your life? Like, if I obey God there, if I'm faithful to him in this situation, it's going to mean this for me, and I don't like that. Whatever that is, that's your lion's den. Now, some of you, it may be being faithful to Jesus and loving him, maybe your family ostracizes you. Like, I, I know plenty of friends that have that experience. Maybe actually being faithful to God in a dating relationship means that you lose the dating relationship. Um, that's a lion's den moment. Maybe it's a group of friends that you are kind of walking with your dudes and they're not walking in the ways of God and you being faithful in that actually might mean that they just kind of dismiss you and they move on without you. I don't know what it is, but I want you to know that when you, when you go to the lion's den for your obedience to God like Daniel, God is with you. He's with you, and his power is at work to make his name known in you. And that's what we have to hold on to when our faith is put to the test. All right, um, and this is what I want you to see. This is so cool. I want you to see what happens when we're faithful to God in hard situations. Verse 25. So Darius threw everybody who kind of accused Daniel into the lion's den. Verse 25, then King Darius wrote to all the nations and peoples of every language in all the earth, may you prosper greatly. I issue a decree that in every part of my kingdom, people must fear and reverence the God of Daniel. For he is the living God and he endures forever. His kingdom will not be destroyed. His dominion will never end. He rescues and saves. He performs signs and wonders in the heavens and on earth. He has rescued Daniel from the power of the lion. So Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. And here's what I want you to get from that. The vindication at the end of the story is not ultimately about Daniel, but it's about Daniel's God. Do you guys see that? Like Daniel, like the whole point of this story isn't to go like, hey, like, Good job, Daniel. 
like when, when Darius saw Daniel's faithfulness, what he perceived in the whole situation is that the God of Daniel really reigns. God is the one who's honored. Daniel isn't ultimately the one who's honored. And that's what I'm trying to, to really like cultivate in my heart and in the heart of this ministry is that I want, I want people to say like the God of Corey. Like I want my neighbors to be like, who's the God of Corey? Like who's the God of Eddie? Who's the God of Casey? Who's the God of Noah? Who's the God of this Sarah? Like who, who is this God? I want us to live lives that are so passionate about being committed to God and his kingdom that people want to know the name of our God. Just like Darius came to know God through Daniel's faithfulness. Amen? All right, as we, as we kind of close the story, and I said this at the very beginning of um, our study, but the stories of Daniel are not ultimately about Daniel. They're about the one Daniel points to and here's what's so incredible, and I don't know if, if you guys have caught this, but the story of Daniel is actually like a little bit of a preview of the story of Jesus and the resurrection story. Like, it, it's incredible. And the whole point for the gospel writers to write, look back to this story is like, oh my gosh, there's one who walked the same road as Daniel, and he's even greater. For Daniel, in this story, his obedience landed him in the grave of the lion's den. For Jesus... His obedience to the Father landed him in the grave. For Daniel, there was a stone placed over the den, and Darius put his seal there to make sure it was final. For Jesus, there was a stone placed over the tomb, and Pilate put a seal there to make sure that that was it, that it was done. In the book of Daniel, there was an early morning rush to the den to find miraculous life. For Jesus... There was an early morning rush from his disciples to the tomb to what? To find miraculous life. Daniel, in this story, was fully vindicated and confirmed to be in the right by coming out of the lion's den. For Jesus, his resurrection from the dead was the vindication and confirmation of all he claimed and taught to be true. See, Daniel was delivered from death. Jesus was delivered through death into miraculous life. See, we aren't Daniel in the story. Like, let's just be honest. Like, I read this, and I was just like, each message I feel like I've taught out of this, I was like, geez, I do. I am just not. This is not me. I have a lot of work to do. God, like, have, some, have Connor teach this message. It'll be better. <laughs> but I just, I was just like, I was just really struggling. But then God's just like, that's, you're missing the point. It's not about you. And it's not about Daniel. It's about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. See, we, let's just be honest, we actually deserve the grave. The scriptures say that the wages of sin is death. Like what we've earned for ourselves in our sin is death. But Jesus, in his obedience to the Father's will, was handed over to the lion's den of death for us. And he was raised to new life so that by faith in him, we might be forgiven of our disobedience and find new life in him. See, Darius was right in the story. The God of Daniel really does endure forever, and he is truly able to rescue. He is truly able to rescue. And now, I was thinking about the unbeliever who's listening to this message. Be like, I don't know why I'd be a Christian if it's going to send me to the lion's den. <laughs> you know? And uh, what I, there's a couple of things I would say to you. Jesus, the invitation to Jesus is come 
find new life. But he also says these things like, pick up your cross and follow me. And it's what I, I guess what I want you to know is following Jesus is hard. It is hard, but it's way better. Following Jesus is hard, but it's way better because you actually learn to live the life that you were created to live. And the world hates the light, and it does not come to the light. It loves darkness. So when, it, when light comes, people just react terribly. And in this story, just like Daniel was vindicated and shown to be in the right, for us as faithful people, I just want to tell you, no, no matter how hard it gets, no matter what situations you have to go through, in the end, Jesus is going to come. He's going to establish his kingdom. And he's going to purge the world of all evil. Everything that ruins God's world. It's like, I just don't want it here. And he's offered out invitations to everybody and anybody who would receive the new life of Christ and forgiveness, receive the Holy Spirit as the stamp of approval to say that that inheritance is yours. And in the end, Jesus will be filled with joy at his people who are faithful. And you have to keep your eyes on that. Or when mess happens in your life, it's going to get so chaotic and crazy. But the only thing that we can do is trust him like Daniel, know that he's able to save, and we have to hit our knees every day, saying, God, speak to me, shape me, help me to live for your kingdom, help my coworkers to know you, help my neighbors to know you, help my family to know you. God, just do what you want in your life. I was, I was praying this afternoon, I was just like, I honestly like, I could get fired from my job, and legitimately, like, I'd be fine. Like, I, I was kind of, like, picked in the ministry in a lot of ways by God. And I was just like, my biggest prayer throughout all this is, like, God, I just want to be used by you. Like, the time that you've given me, like, I just want to be used by you. And I just want, I want our hearts in here tonight. It's just like, God, just use me. Shape me. Empower me. And help me to live for your kingdom. We, we have a God who is truly able to rescue. And we have so much to be thankful for. So let's, uh, let's pray for that, and then let's sing about it. <clears throat> Lord, we love you so much, and um, Lord, I pray that you would make us a people who are faithful and obedient. Um, and God, for the areas that we haven't been faithful and we haven't been obedient, we're thankful for Jesus, who went to the grave, who went to the lion's den, God, who took on the punishment that we deserved so that we would be forgiven and find restoration and new life in Jesus. Jesus, our hope is only in you. And God, uh, you truly are able to save, um, and you haven't stopped. And so, God, I pray that for the person in this room that doesn't know you, God, I pray that you would open their eyes to the beauty of Jesus. Um, Jesus, we look forward to the day that you will establish your kingdom, God, and that you will... Um, vindicate your name and the, and the name of your people, God, and we will worship you together with joy and gladness. Um, but God, I pray that in the meantime, God, we would, would be people who live on our knees and that we'd be people who commit ourselves to you, God, to your will, to your love, and to your mission. And we trust you, Jesus. We love you. It's in your name.